Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I'm super glad that you're here. We provide reflection and connection for the high-achieving career woman. So after the episode, we'll give you a couple of reflection questions, things to ponder as a result of the episode, and then jump into the online community, badasswomenscouncil.community, where you can continue the conversation. We have a weekly session where you can come in and discuss the things from our reflection questions. And then there's some other cool stuff in there as well. You can join the Badass Masterclass monthly subscription. There's some classes in there you can take. Come on over. You'll meet some cool people. All right, here we go with today's episode. I'm not coming down. Today's episode, we have Phyllis Quinlan, PhD. And Phyllis is going to talk to us about a healthy work environment, especially as we look at, do we go back to the office? Do we not go back to the office? And in some cases, why don't people want to go back to the office? Uh, Phyllis has a rich background in healthcare uh, as a registered nurse, but she is now the president of MFW Consultants. And her recent book is called Bringing Shadow Behavior into the Light of Day, Understanding and Effectively Managing Bullying and Incivility in Healthcare. But this isn't just about healthcare. It is about workplace environment. I can't wait for you to listen to this discussion and think about what this means for you in your workplace. Here we go. I'm not coming down. Hey, Phyllis, how's it going? Hi, Rebecca. It's going really well. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. We've had a chance to chat a little bit this morning and get to know each other a little bit. And I am excited to dive into your topic um, about creating a healthy work environment, which is more important than it's ever been um, coming out of the challenges that we've all been through. Tell me, give us a little bit of background. How did you get involved in this topic to be writing about it and representing it as an expert? Tell us a little bit about how this became important to you. Right. Well, um, you know, it's something I've been, you know, engaged in trying to promote as a leader myself in certainly working in the departments um, that I have been leading. Uh, my doctorate is in administration, and I, I am concerned about the, um, the, the overlooking of disruptive behavior and how that contributes to unhealthy work environments. And it just seems to be like the elephant in the room that everybody knows about, but nobody, it's not that they don't want to acknowledge it. I, I think they're um, a little concerned that if they do acknowledge it, they might be opening this Pandora's box and they may not have the support and the guidance to be able to navigate it well. And it could uh, ultimately you know, erupt in the wrong direction on them. And they're, they're good to think about that. But um, I think right now, as you, you suggested, after our experiences in 2020 and the first piece of 2021, as we try to encourage our staff to come back to the office, away from remote work, um, as, you know, as we are trying to recruit and retain our talent. Um, and also, we're now far more, you know, aware of the importance of resilience. And you cannot build staff resilience 
um, without creating a healthy work environment that will support that resilience. You can't send them to a massage chair for 15 minutes and then have them come back to constant stress and strain because the, the work environment is not working. Um, it's, it, 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 it checks the box and does nothing when you do that. So I think now we have a leadership imperative and, and no greater time than to take a very serious look at our collective work environments and do the very best we can to create ones that are seamless, that are um, supportive, that retain talent, um, encourage innovation and create a safe place for people to start to re-engage in their life fully. I couldn't agree more. I was excited to have you on the show because this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. My background is in uh, business consulting as well. And what I now help my clients do, which I think is a, a great complement to, to your work and the way that we will align in this conversation is I break it down very simply and say that the business needs are to control, measure, and optimize. That's, that's a leader is thinking about that constantly. What are the goals? What are the metrics? How can I grow this business? How can I uh, do what I need to do? And I'm, I'm responsible for it, right? Those are very finite things that we're looking for. But people, our needs are personal, emotional, and social. Yes. And so because of that, it's not very finite, right? People feel because we are a bit uncertain and unpredictable, whereas the business needs are so finite that leaders gravitate there and are less likely to engage in the human needs because they don't feel equipped. Uh, and I think what you what you just said is is not a malicious act oftentimes. It's, I don't know what to do about it, so I'm afraid to even open the conversation. But now more than ever, what we've identified is some companies are, people are ready to come back to work. They've missed each other. They're ready to have meetings together again. They're ready to, to have conversations. And others are really struggling because people want to stay at home. And what I heard you say is that the people that want to stay at home may be responding to the previous disruptive behavior that they experienced in their work environment and don't want to come back to that. Is that, is that a fair assumption of what you said earlier? It, it is a fair assumption, Rebecca. Um, you know, I'm sure there, you know, like everything, there are multiple layers to the question of why don't you want to return to on-site employment, all right? Um, so there's, there's childcare issues, there's family issues, there's personal preference issues, you know, um, it, there's a lot of things, but, you know, part of that might, might be that it was just so much easier not to have to work around through over or tolerate systems that are not working and disruptive behaviors that are even, you know, that are that are overlaying those systems that are not working, that are just making it that much more difficult and have a little left over to have a life at the end of the day. Right. So when you discuss disruptive behavior, can you break it down for us so we can even look around at our own workplaces and say, is that me? Sure. Is that something I need to address? What, what, yeah. is, what is it? <clears throat> So I'm, I'm just gonna be a little, I'm gonna elaborate on that just a little bit. So there, there are many, many authorities out there on what, what are the pillars or what are the elements of a healthy work environment? 
Um, there's Christina Matlock's work. You, you can see a ton of publications in the Harvard Business Review. Even the nurse associations have publications out there that talk about communication, collaboration, um, authentic leadership, adequate staffing. And you know they, they all target pretty much the same thing. They may say it and put it in different categories. They, they name it differently, but it means the same thing. But I, when I read these authorities, what I, where the mark that I think they're missing is the impact of disruptive behavior upon the workplace. So in my interpretation, you have, and in, in, uh, in, in touring the, the, the country and talking about this, uh, what we've kind of come up with is about 85 to 90% of the people come to work ready, willing, and able to engage in um, their career and the mission and the value and the goals of the company. So 85 to 90% of people are, are looking to show up and do a great job, right? There are that 10 to 15% that are either engaging in what I call chronic instability and or real true bullying behaviors. Of that, let's say 15% of disruptive behavior, okay? About 10% is engaging in that chronic instability. Let me clarify that a little bit. Please. These are the people that just suck all the air out of the room, all right? These are the people that can't get to work on time, can't get back from a break on time, can't deliver you know, um, to the team on time, always have an excuse. You know, you're looking to have a cup of coffee in the break room and they have to, you know, somehow talk about themselves and how their life is going wrong and the latest saga of a failed relationship. They, they are just unaware of their low emotional intelligence and how that spills over and just destroys the, the positivity in the room. I call these people energy vampires. Yeah. Yeah. You could be having a really great day. You sit down to have a cup of coffee. You sit in a room with an energy vampire. You leave the room and you don't know why you're tired because they just suck the joy, the energy, chronic complaining, you name it, they engage in this low level of emotional intelligence behavior. And we tolerate them. And you know the, the, the staff is kind of looking at leadership saying, do you see what's going on here? You know, and their leadership that, excuse me, the, the staff, 85% of the staff is looking to leadership to do something, all right? Just, you know, do address it somehow, acknowledge that we're, we're all laboring underneath this and that the distraction of this constant irritation, you know, these are the kind of folks that if they call in sick, you're going to have a better day. You, you know who I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. So they, they, they cause this chronic distraction and you start to make errors, you can't focus, you can't concentrate your job or your role or your project. It's just that much harder to do. The well, second you, category, fortunately, you, this is a much smaller, sure. Before you go to the second category, yeah. I just want to give a real time example that yesterday, one of my coaching clients, as we were going through some things that he's working on, it came up that he has one of these, that he has influence without authority over this person on, as a part of the team. Right. So he's not, the person doesn't directly report to him, but he's on a, a part of a sales team that's impacting his trust to take him in with clients and do these things. And I said to him, you have such 
decision fatigue and exhaustion from being around this person because you don't know if you can trust them to do the right thing and you don't know you're constantly trying to fight or flight and ebb and flow around this person that you're too exhausted to do great work for yourself and he just sat back in his chair with this deep sigh and he said and the rest of the team he goes that's it. He goes, my wife is so tired of me talking about this person. He said, I just feel like I am exhausted. So there's a real life example of it's impacting his ability to do his best work, even though that he's not directly tied to him, but it's impacting him. So real time example. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about the leadership imperative that you talked about, those people who are business minded, Okay, without an engaged, focused staff, tell me what you're going to measure. Tell me what you're going to do. Because not much. You know, so again, did you have 15% of your staff or so pulling in the opposite direction? You know, you, you really need to start to put some, some realization and awareness around that. And then very, very important to collaborate with your human resource and upper administration um, to have a coordinated effort around this because when it's not so much with the chronic uncivil employee, but when we're talking about the true bully, um, the true bully has a way of being able to um, gaslight and use plausible deniability to the point that it makes it sound like you are doing the bull and you are harassing them so that if you're not coordinating your strategy with executive leadership and human resources, you could have this whole situation backfire on you. So let's go back to the the example of the chronic instability. And this was the example I gave with you yesterday for for my client. And and, and I I did give that um, advice to go meet with the director that's above that person and him and, 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 and set some expectations and goals around how they can, they can get better results for everybody. What other things would you practical, tactical invite our listeners to do if they are facing a chronic instability? And then we'll talk next about the bullying. So it, um, in working with somebody who's chronically uncivil, all right, you, you have to understand that the, the basis of their issue, the basis of the incivility is low emotional intelligence. Now, you can work with human resources, you can work with outside sources or resources, but you have to have worth the time and money and investment that it's going to take to put a remediation plan in place. So when you're working with someone who's chronically uncivil, one of the first things you want to do is assess whether this, the, you know, you want to make the investment in this person, you know, is their job performance and job product, you know, commensurate with you having to make the investment of time, training, money, and resources in order to offer them an opportunity to grow personally. Once you answer that, then I would first start with you know, definitely getting them into some training for emotional intelligence. And if possible, and the, and, the, and the money is there to try to get them some coaching to coordinate with that emotional intelligence training, because to take a class in emotional intelligence 
and you know, kind of check the box on that does not increase your emotional intelligence. You need to work with someone who's going to hold you accountable. Now, if you indeed have the time, money, and resources to invest in giving this person an opportunity to develop, then you, what you can expect is what I call stair-step progress. You're going to go up one stair, you're going to go down, you're going to go up two, you're going to go back one. They are going to get it, and then they're not going to get it. So the important piece here is to gauge whether they get it more than they don't, because changing personalities or growing a personality or letting go of habitual behaviors that are no longer serving themselves or others takes time. And that's why I say you have to really make a determination. Do you have what it takes to invest in this person? Or do you need to just go to the 100-day performance improvement plan, you know, offer them some resources, and then call it good? You know, this is, this is a, a decision you make leader by leader, department by department. Right. Which is also why I have a very strong bias around not engaging in big group training sessions that are expected to change individual people's behavior. <laughs> so I used to often be asked to come in and do training sessions in a, in a prior uh, life of mine. And when I'd get down to the diagnosis, it was really because Bill was an asshole. <laughs> I would say, so why are we training 40 people and flying them all over the country for me to come in because Bill is an asshole? Why don't we just deal with Bill? <laughs> right. And, and oftentimes, right. And oftentimes it was because they didn't know how or it was uncomfortable. Um, or, and so or they were concerned that Bill would retaliate with some sort of human resource complaint. Um, and that's why you want to make a coordinated effort around that, because, you know, if you're doing that, if you're you're putting Bill in a class with 39 other talented people who haven't done put a foot wrong. Um, trust me, the 39 others are going to be smart enough to understand we're all sitting here because of Bill and they're all going to be updating their resume saying I'm done. I'm done. This is the last thing I need to be working on my project, not sitting here taking, you know, the the class that Bill is now on the phone not paying attention to. And you know, we need to be able to really put a plan in place and monitor somebody, you know, make sure that you're checking in with them frequently. And I'm not talking about once a week. I'm talking about every 3 days. And being ready, willing, and able to do just-in-time coaching so that when you see a repetitive behavior that is unacceptable, that you make them aware in the moment, you know, can I speak to you just for a second? So, you know, Bill, here's, here's the issue. Did you hear what you just said? Or did you see the reaction of other people? This is exactly what we're trying to bring to your attention and hope that you can self-monitor and change. Which, and if you're talking about financial resources, it's you just take the money that you would have done in this big group training session and funnel that into that work with Bill all and everybody's going to elevate their game by you addressing Bill, right? Or because the message that's sent to the 39 others is that we see it, we're aware of it and we're on it. All right. That that's the big piece there. And then, you know, here's the other thing. When you, when you make these decisions, one of the things you need to factor in, because we're all working with finite resources. Nobody's got a blank check. But do we really want to pour our resources into the 10% that are holding us back? Or do we want to pour our resources into the 85 or that are with us 110%? And I think we have given 
too much oil to squeaky wheels. And I think it's been well-intended and I think we've gotten the best thinking and guidance from human resources at the time, but I think it's time to step back and take a broader look, a bigger look, and, you know, really say, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Okay. But how many times are you going to re-oil that wheel until you decide to change the wheel? And, Absolutely. you know, common sense is, I understand it's not so common, but sometimes we have to have, and this is why I call this a leadership imperative. We have to have the, the, the managerial leadership courage to do the right thing, even if it means, you know, biting a bullet and, or, you know, and working with HR to do the hard thing that ultimately is the right thing that then reinforces all of the, the, the company image campaigning that you're doing, that the 85 are kind of sitting back and saying, I'm hearing what you're saying over here, but I'm watching what you're doing over here and they don't align. They don't align. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that 110%. And I think there is always that intrepidation, right? Am I making the right decision? I want to, you know, you don't want to disrupt people's lives. And you think if I let this person go or, you know, it's, it's a hard emotional decision and I'm not um, discounting that, but I've not met a single leader that I've worked with that has regretted <laughs> making that tough decision after the fact. Prior to making the decision, it's angsty, right? You, you lay in bed at night, you worry about it. It's going to be hard, but after it's done, I've not met anyone that said, oh, I wish I wouldn't have let that person go or, or move them out of my team. There's always that sigh of relief once it's done. And sometimes it takes engaging with a coach just to help you make that decision, that really tough decision. And, and that's, that is so very, very true. And, you know, how many times have you worked with clients that, you know, are, are the new leader in the department? And, you know, all of a sudden you, you, it becomes glaringly apparent within the first week that we've got one or two folks here that are definitely pulling in a different direction. You go down to HR and you want to pull their employment jacket and you take a look at their jacket and, you know, you see their evaluations and it's met, 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 met all the way down. No one ever dealt with the elephant in the room. And you realize this has been ongoing. And if you say to HR, well, why don't you give me Bill's, you know, employment jacket? They go, oh, Bill, yeah, sure. I'm sure you want to see that jacket. Meanwhile, you haven't done anything, you know? So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, seeing something in the middle of the room and, and kind of, you know, trying to sweep around it, over it, through it. It's not going to happen until you address what's address there. Yeah. And unfortunately, or fortunately, because human resources serve a greater good rather than a, you know, uh, a punitive thing, they, you know, the, what needs to be done is that you have to have consistent documentation of disruptive behavior. So this is where pen and paper and the good old fashioned anecdotal note, you know, really, um, you know, help you outline for human resources that there is a pattern of this behavior, regardless of just-in-time coaching, regardless of sending them to a class, regardless of this or that or the other thing. Um, I've changed, I, I put them back in orientation. I've sent them to time management class. And despite my best efforts at due diligence to appeal to this person's higher good, um, you know, I, I, here we are yet again, and I am now going to give them the worst performance evaluation of their career and we need to be ready to have an answer and a 30-day, and a 60-day, no more than 100-day performance improvement plan 
you know, in place to kind of follow that up to help them understand, well, we're serious. I'm not coming down. When I work with my clients, I want them to discover their unique personal story so they can then stand tall in that story and live a life full of soul and emotions and their natural curiosity about their unique gifts, talents, and abilities so they can live a thriving life. Because our brains are hardwired for stories and our brain wants us to thrive. So I help my clients tap into that. And I also have a sponsor for this podcast called Storybook, which is a unique and innovative platform that helps you bring your company stories to life by tapping into the emotional flow and the natural curiosity that we have about your products and services. So check them out. You can go to my website, wethrive.live, click on the Stand Tall in Your Story link and see the kind of work they're doing for us or go to their site, cantaloupe.tv and there's hundreds of stories there that they've created that you can experience. Check them out. We're so grateful to work with them and for them to sponsor the podcast. I'm not coming down. Let's talk more about the bullying side of thing. Let's let's yeah. do some uh, descriptions of what that looks and sounds like, and some recommendations. So, if bullying yeah. behavior is happening, what are we seeing? What are we feeling? What are we right? So, where the the person who's chronically uncivil is annoying, disruptive, um, you know, distracting, sucking all the energy out of the room. The person who is engaging in bullying is destructive, not disruptive, but destructive. So in many cases, you're going to find that the, 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 the personality profile of a bully aligns itself very closely with a narcissist. And um, so what I, I try to do with the organizational leaders is to raise their awareness and understanding of the the, the um the disruptive behavior of narcissism and how that personality disorder plays out and what behaviors you can anticipate. And I always start with, do not try to take on a narcissist slash bully by yourself. This is where you're going to definitely need a coordinated effort because these people have engaged in their narcissistic bullying and manipulative behavior, confounding behavior, relying on plausible deniability all of their lives and they're masterful at it. And if you you cannot outthink a narcissist in that regard, you just have to be aware enough that you realize and anticipate what their next move is going to be. And you have a strategy to be ready for that next move. So one of the things, if you're trying to decide, well, is the person chronically uncivil or are they a narcissist, you know, bully, is, you know, who's engaging in leapfrogging behavior? Because a narcissist truly believes that they're special, even though they're coming from a place of a frail or fragile ego. They truly believe that they're special. Therefore, their immediate report, okay, their middle manager is they, they leapfrog middle management and go directly to directorships or executive management with all sorts of audacious kinds of implications and insights and the audacity of leapfrogging. And, you know, their, their thought 
Patton in all of this is, you know, well, you're just a middle manager and I'm so very special. And if you were any good at what you did, you'd be an executive leader or a director. So why should I waste my time with you? I need to leapfrog. Now, when you call them on that kind of departure from structure, they're going to give you the plausible deniability of, oh, gee, well, I just saw the guy in the hall and I took that opportunity. You know, he's always saying open door policy. So I took advantage of that. So there's always going to be this umbrella of plausible deniability around behavior that is well-intended and well thought out. Oh my gosh. I promise you that every listener right now is thinking of someone that they either currently work with or have worked with or might be married to um, that exhibits this behavior, right? Absolutely. And what's difficult for me as a high on the empath scale is I do know it comes from deep-seated insecurity. And there's this part of me that feels for their cause. Yeah, be however, careful there. Be careful there. However, it is so unbelievably disruptive to everyone else's experience that if you yeah. do not deal with it, and I say that because that's what happens a lot, is people have this like endearing, especially if you're in HR, you got into HR oftentimes because you care about people and you want to help them and you yeah. want to save them, but mm -hmm. you are taking down the team by tolerating this kind of behavior. So Rebecca, I got to stop you there because I've got to just corroborate what you're saying. And I just need to say that you've got to be careful because one of the real personality traits of a narcissist is they have predator qualities. They are, now remember, they're usually going to be fairly good looking, all right, or at least appealing. They're going to have mesmerizing eyes and a very, they're going to be able to be charming, Charming to a way that you think to yourself, oh, let me give this guy another shot. Let me let me give this gal. She's so misunderstood, which is exactly what they're playing to. And they're playing you like a fiddle. So you remember when I said, if you're trying to remediate someone who's chronically uncivil, it's going to look like a staircase. Okay. If you're trying to foolishly, and I'm going to underline foolishly trying to change or remediate a narcissistic bully. It's going to happen with a, a first is going to be a bullying episode. Then there's going to be a time of remorse and maybe over solicitation of trying to be too nice. Then there's going to be this latent period. And then there's going to be this irritability and everybody's kind of knows more bullying is coming and they're trying to do everything to placate this person. And then there's another bullying episode. It's a cycle, not a staircase. And it is, it absolutely mimics the same kind of cycle of domestic violence, child abuse, elder abuse, any other type of abusive behavior is cyclical. And narcissistic bullying behavior mirrors that. So when you say to me, Phyllis, how are we going to remediate this person? My answer is don't even try. The only answer to a bully is to get them to the door. And if you are silly enough to think that you are actually going to remediate someone who cannot identify themselves in need to change, because that's their number one thing. They're perfect. They're wonderful. They're, everything they do is so very special. Whether they're sharing that with you or not, that's their belief. Therefore, the world needs to accommodate their specialness. They don't need to change. 
you need to change to accommodate me. My colleagues need to change to accommodate me. Rules are not meant for me. Well, they must be meant for the little people, but not for super special me. I need a special accommodation over here. And you find yourself, it's the old story. If you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to want a glass of milk. It's never going to be enough. And the, the, the one foundation you have for being able to let go of habitual behaviors that are self-sabotaging is that you first have to acknowledge that you have a problem and a narcissist cannot, will not, never will do that. Do not waste your time, effort, or money. You just get a coordinated effort with human resources, executive leadership to document, document, document until you have, and this might even take a year or 18 months, but till you have a pattern on a spreadsheet of an episode here, an episode there, an episode with a staff member, a client, family member, housekeeping, and you have, it's irrefutable in front of whoever is mediating the wrongful termination suit that they will bring. I am so thrilled that you're having this conversation with our listeners because it happens so often. And is it not possible that by trying to remediate instead of remove, that you actually reinforce their cycle and kind of feed the beast a little bit is the term that I use because you've given them attention. And so they've had to go in stronger with their bad behavior. And it actually increases that bad behavior muscle instead of diminishing it because they're never going to be aware of it. They're only going to up their predator game around it. Is that fair? Well, two things you have to understand and you have to take very, very seriously. Okay, The first thing is that a narcissistic bully is not going to get angry. They're going to get even. So where if you if we got a lesson seller performance evaluation or we got some just in time coaching that said, gee, wow, that went really bad. Uh, you know, can we figure out a way to do it better next time? We take it seriously and we'd weigh it and we'd say, you know, I, I have to agree with maybe 60% of that feedback, 40% I think is off the money, but I'll work on that 60%. And we will grow from that because we have good emotional intelligence and we understand that this kind of, you know, pushback actually gives us an opportunity to spring forward. A narcissist sees that same feedback, that same just-in-time coaching as a threat to their entity and a threat to their story and a threat to their ego, which means that in their mind, you have to be destroyed. Not It's a, a, a campaign of revenge will ensue and they will wait and they will act on that. Again, using plausible deniability uh, to hide behind. Um, but this is one of the reasons why you never take one of these folks on by yourself, because your executive leadership and your human resources and whoever else is a stakeholder in deciding, yes, we are going to move this person to the door at some point, and here's, here's the strategy for that. They have to be aware that this person will be revenge-seeking and that they will go on a campaign to destroy your credibility And when they can't do that, they'll destroy your boss's credibility or they'll go out on a campaign against the company, but they have to have their pound of flesh and you need to be ready for it. Oh my gosh, this is so important. This is so important. It it truly is, you know? So the, 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 the other piece here is, you know, we, we have to be careful about our own good nature. 
So I'm not sure if your listeners are aware that, you know, bullying and chronic incivility thrive in healthcare. So you, you, you want to ask the question, well, why would bullying thrive in a caring profession? So it's kind of like, you know, well, why did you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. If you are a personality that needs leadership around you, that's always willing to extend the finish line, always willing to try to give you another remedy, always willing to hold your hand as you try to grow or heal. If you want that, then healthcare is the place for you. So you have to be very, very careful that you are not having your own caregiver personality, whether you're in healthcare or not. If you're a good caring person, they'll spot it and they will wring it out for every drop it's worth. Girl, preach. <laughs> I can give example after example, personal and professional in my, my life, my client's life of that being completely accurate. And I would also ask someone that's questioning whether they should deal with this or not, that if they read about bullying in school, are they enraged and think it should be dealt with immediately? We shouldn't tolerate bullying in school. But yet I see people tolerate it in the workplace constantly. And I'm like, hold on. So yeah, you, you, you wonder about those things. Like when did this start? And you know, um, we don't have that much empirical data um, on all of this because remember, you know, if someone's neurotic and they're suffering and they're, they're, they're causing themselves some suffering, usually they'll submit to some kind of, I don't wanna say analysis, but some kind of study all right, to say, okay, what am I doing that's causing this? And maybe I'll learn from it. I'll submit to the study or I'll submit to this and, and, and maybe it'll benefit me in the long run. You know, narcissists are, you know, it's a personality dis disorder, which means that they are neurotic, but kind of like neurotic on steroids. And they don't feel that there's anything wrong with them. So why should they submit to being studied? Because that would be validation that you're right and they're not. So we don't have a tremendous amount of you know, data to share about where the origins and etiology of all of this is. But what we do know is that the child who bullies in school, and for whatever reason, you know, they, they, they do not address it. And the child who probably bullied siblings or was, was, you know, acting out at home and then goes to pre-K and then school, then graduates and goes to high school and is a high school bully, then graduates and goes to college and is a college bully, and then graduates and goes into the workplace, and you know the ending. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. One thing I do want to share though, people who are bullied don't usually turn around and bully back. That's not what they do. Okay. So, you know, I've been asked that question. Are, are some of the bullies in workplaces people who have been subject to bullying behavior? And the answer is no. Most of those people will either leave or they will be, they will find some kind of empowerment and they will champion initiatives to have a, a healthy workplace. And they will work with their colleagues who perhaps are, you know, um, you know, being challenged by similar situations. But people who are indeed bullied don't necessarily go on to bully. This is something very, very unique. I'm so grateful for you and this topic. And my goodness, in the time that we have today, we can, we can, we've, I think we've given some really tangible takeaways of, of identifying and, and, and what to do about it. But for those that want to dig deeper, 
how can they engage with you? So you have a book on this topic. You have a coaching consulting practice. Tell us how we can take this further with you. So if you go to my website and my website is M as in Michael, F as in Frank, W as in William, consultants with an S. So mfwconsultants.com. And if you go on there, you can read about my full service consulting firm and the coaching and the leadership development, executive leadership is a big part of my of what I offer. And you could read more again on my website. I do have a uh, store tab on my website. If you click on that and go to books, you can then purchase a hard copy of my book, which is bringing shadow behavior into the light of day, understanding and effectively managing bullying and incivility. And you can purchase a copy, a hard copy on my website, or you can go to Kindle and put in my name, Phyllis Quinlan, and bullying behavior or bullying and incivility. And it should pop up on Amazon as a Kindle version and you can purchase it that way. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for dedicating a part of your career to this important topic. It's, I know you, you, you've got your quote unquote regular job in, in the healthcare space. And, and this is something that you've just been passionate enough to, to kind of pull it aside and, and shine a light on it. And I'm grateful for, for you. Yes. The time is right. People are right. And, and I do think it's a leadership imperative. If you are of a, if you're a leader of a mindset, that truly wants to be transformational and bring your company into the 21st century. It starts with your people and it starts with the, the, the ease of which the environment with which they work in. And I, I just encourage your leaders to reach out to me and help me be a part of their solutions. And we'll bring that back to where we started. If you're struggling to get people to come back to the to the office and to the workplace, this may be an area that you need to, to address. It's definitely one that needs some, some of your attention, but also people's standards have been upped in terms of what they're expecting in the workplace. So, so even if you thought things were just okay before, now's the time to say just okay isn't good enough. Correct. Well said. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rebecca. For today's episode, the first reflection question is, is there workplace behavior that's going on right now or has in the past in your work team that needs to be addressed? And who can you talk to about it? The second reflection question is, how can you create an environment where people are comfortable speaking up about this type of workplace behavior? Thanks so much for being here. And please join the online community at badasswomenscouncil.community where we can continue the conversation and you can meet other badass high achievers like you. Thanks so much. Make it a great day. If you like the music for the podcast, go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your music and look up Cameron Hessian Clouds. You can download the full song there. He's got some other stuff out there as well. And y'all, he's my son. Be great if you'd go and download some of his stuff.
coming down.